There's a phrase that people often say. I bet you've even said it at some point in your life. I don't regret anything because every decision I've made has brought me right here and I wouldn't be who I was if I did anything different. This is a really funny phrase to me. I basically don't ever believe it because I just think, is your life so perfect, really? I mean, you can't think of anything that you would prefer to have different, <laughs> any decision in your life that could have gone a different way that would have made you happier. Come on. I mean, I, <laughs> mad respect if you really do feel so optimistic and cheerful about where you are in life, but, you know, it's not like I'm suffering over here exactly, not from anything serious. I do have constant low-key existential ennui, aka clinical anxiety and depression my whole life. But, you know, things are pretty good for me. I, I'm very aware of that when, I, when I'm posting my Instagram stories of sunny California weather versus my friends in Europe or New York. And it makes me appreciate things, but I am very aware of poor decisions that I've made throughout my life and continue to make. And I'm not ashamed to say that I regret some decisions. I don't think it's like this, I don't know. I don't feel trapped in saying that. I don't feel like it's some sort of death knell or some sort of like tragedy to regret something. I mean, some things are tragedies, let's be honest. You know, to lose the love of your life through some stupid series of events that could have easily played out differently, that's a tragedy. Or to, you know, make a, a really boneheaded decision that kills you. Obviously, that's pretty bad. Um, but there are, like, very minor things in everyday life that happen all the time that I think if we could rewind and redo things, we would. And I just don't know why so many people deny that. I don't know if it's like putting on a cheerful disposition for appearances or if it's genuine, like, I don't believe in regrets or something. I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm thinking about regret right now because I, I'm thinking about a series of recent events that are all pretty minor in my life that I want to go over. And how I just, <laughs> I would have done them differently if I could just go back in time, even just like a week, you know? And I, I, I like that philosophical question. Like if you could go back and start over life, like how far back would you go? You wouldn't go back to zero necessarily. Maybe you would. But, you know, I think a lot of us, I certainly can remember the first stupid decision I made when I was a teenager, for sure. Um, I guess I'll tell it to you since it's coming up. It was in the realm of love. And my girlfriend, I was like 17, 
And we broke up because it was all too much for her, I think, to like watch herself change um, in the context of our relationship. She was like, let's say, let's make this a little story. Like, um, I'm going to play with the facts a little bit to make it, uh, let's say it's based on a true story. She was like, let's say a hardcore feminist as a teenager. And once she started dating me, she got a lot more cutesy girly and she recognized this change in herself and she didn't like it. And she attributed it to our relationship and me, which I mean, I think love can do that to somebody. I think it can soften you and make you more uh, affectionate rather than let's say something like angry or political, you know? So anyways, this change happened and I didn't really know any better, but to accept what she was telling me. Um, I just thought, well, look, if you want to break up, let's break up. Like I didn't fight for her and I regret that because I loved her or at least I, I felt what a 17 year old calls love. You know, I mean, love is so kind of impossible to define. I think it's so, you know, people say something like, um, how do you know that what I call red is the same thing that you call red, but at least red is like a technical, uh, identification on the, uh, electromagnetic spectrum, you know, like it can be measured technically and there's like numbers for it on the you know, in Photoshop, there's like a six digit number for red or whatever. Love is like, I think we kind of guess what we, we call it when we see it, but it's like, it's different things to different people, isn't it? And it combines like platonic love and familial love and romantic love and lustful love. Like it's a mess, let's be honest. But anyways, I think I loved this girl at the time and I let her end our relationship. But of course it didn't really end then and there. Like we obviously just carried on our affection for each other and we continued sleeping together. And I remember this one pivotal day when she was at my place and we had sex and she was leaving and she went to give me a kiss and I stopped her and I said, hey, you want to break up. You want to be broken up. So we shouldn't kiss. And that ruined everything. Like she hated me after that. And it was like irreparable. And I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. And now of course I see how offensive that was and how hurtful it was. And like that, like she had like been playing her hand and like kind of like fumbling through her identity and her love and all this. And I was kind of like, I don't know, like stepping, I was dancing with her. I wasn't doing anything too bad, you know, but that was bad. Like it was like, as if I was rejecting her and confirming that it was wrong or whatever. And look, <laughs> that decision brought me to where I am today, etc. And like, it's not like I wish I married that girl. I've been more truly in love since then. So, 
when I, when I talk about regret, regretful love, she's not the one that comes to mind actually. But it was like, it just happens to be one of these really impactful moments in my life where I fucked up. Like there's just, let's just be honest about it. You know what I mean? And I feel like I do that a lot. <laughs> and usually it's more minor. So I recently bought a car here in California. Los Angeles is basically a driving town. I haven't owned a car in a long time because in Berlin, it's definitely not necessary. I would like to drive more, but that's a whole fiasco with reciprocity and driver's licenses between the states and all this bullshit, frankly. Um, but no big loss. It's not crazy to not drive a car in Berlin. In New York, I did have a car, but it was my grandmother's that I inherited. I never registered it in my name. And I only used it to get out of town for road trips, which is a great thing to do out of New York. But mostly I just like moved it to the other side of the street every week for street sweeping and got plenty of parking tickets because of that super annoying strategy that New York City employs to squeeze money out of everybody. But anyways, the last time I really owned a car was last time I lived in LA, which was like, you know, 15, 20 something, 16, whatever years ago. And I like cars. I like, I love driving. I've, I've mentioned it a lot here about how I really take, you know, cruising on highways, road trips and darting through traffic and like, I just take driving seriously, like a video game. Like I don't, I, I resent bad drivers. I resent slow drivers in the fast lane. I, I just like driving and I like being in a car and feeling in control and getting myself somewhere and whatever. So I decided to get a car, but I'm budget conscious. I'm cash poor relative to most of my peers. So I was shopping for like, what made sense for me. And I take my consumer habits very seriously. <laughs> I've mentioned Marie Kondo before and being a minimalist, but I do accrue consumable items. I love tech and I love things. I just, I, I'm very careful with what things I bring into my world. So when I think about a car, like I'm not gonna get a generic car. I'm not going to get a brand new car. I'm not going to lease uh, a Prius or something. I'm not going to get like a Honda Accord or something. Frankly, I don't like any car from this millennium. I think every single car, even Tesla's kind of look lame and they're all they're kind of generic looking to me. Tesla's are nice, but like, you know what I mean? They like every car has to be so futury and curvy and whatever. I really love classic Mercedes Benzes from like the 60s to the 80s. The coupes, the two doors, the SLs, SLCs. They're just like so beautiful to me. And I would like really take pride of ownership with a car like that. So I went shopping for one of them and I found one like within quote my budget, which is like, let's say five grand. And you know, they're fixer uppers. You have to maintain them. They can and like they can end up costing a lot over time, but that's fine. Like, 
if something is worth it to you, it's not a problem that it requires maintenance and energy and even more money as you go. I mean, I can accept that, you know? But I didn't get this car that I actually really, really liked. I mean, it wasn't my dream Mercedes. It was it was white, which was great, but the beige interior was not preferable to like a gray or black or blue leather interior. Um, it had some like details on it that I would have changed, but it was great, you know? It's like the car that I wanted to have. And yet I decided I wouldn't get it and I can't even really say why. Like, I guess I let myself believe that I didn't deserve it. Kind of like how we accept the love in our lives that we think we deserve. So people end up in abusive relationships when they think they deserve abuse or people settle for like, this sounds bad, not their first choice or something like that because maybe they think they don't deserve their first choice or whatever, you know? And so I did that with this car, and I ended up buying a very laughable 1993 Mazda 323 hatchback subcompact car. This cost $1,800. Like, it's the cheapest car ever, you know? Like, I bought it from this really random underground dealer in Santa Clarita, of all places. Anyways, like... This was something to discover. It was like a hard car to find and to buy. I had to take an Uber an hour away, you know? And I just, I don't know. Like I kind of fell in love with the uniqueness of this car and it just felt special to me, but it had so many problems. Like it was evident as I test drove this car that it couldn't drive like the powerful speeds that I like to drive on highways. Um, it was very loud, you know, like took work to get it up to 80 miles per hour. Um, it like, it just, it has problems. The air conditioning didn't work. The horn doesn't work. The speakers were blown. Like all these things, like the leather, or not leather, the just upholstery that was torn up. The paint was cracking and terrible and it has dents and dings and it's a mess. It's a shitty beater car. And I even told the dealer like, I'm sorry, I don't think I can get this. Like I'm comparing this to like a Mercedes, like an actual collectible car that's meant to be like rejuvenated and cherished and this guy was like yeah i get it you know everyone else that's looked at this car has just like been desperate and lost their job and needed something and you're the first person to come in here and actually like appreciate the aesthetics and i am just a sucker for like this vaporwave aesthetic like this is like this looks like a car from a youtube playlist of chill wave music and I'm in love with that vibe. So I guess I just, I had this in mind and I just was thinking to myself, do I want to commit myself to the work, to the like constant energy that this is going to require when it's not even my dream car? And I thought, Keith, you're busy. You're managing this property that you're living in. You have 
a backload of photography and video work. You're trying to do this, you know, cultural commentary stuff and you like to enjoy your life and your time. And the whole point of having a car is to use it. So why would you want to get a car that you end up having to take into the shop every week, you know? But I did, I did that. And I guess I just really was in love with the idea of having a very unique one-of-a-kind car on the road. Like you just don't see this ever. And it's, it's pretty cool, you know? It's charming. But I felt buyer's remorse. As soon as I was driving it home, I thought like, what the hell am I doing? Why did I do that? And I bought it from this dealer that like, takes no refunds, I can't just take it back, you know? Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I just, I made this decision that beguiled myself. Like, I just couldn't even understand why I did what I did. And I do that in my life all the time. I, I find myself blurting out the wrong thing socially in a new group of friends and acquaintances that I know is risky to say, but I'll just say it, you know? And I guess I'm just like amused, I guess, at myself and the decisions that I make. And I, I think a part of me wants to attribute that to like, well, mental illness, <laughs> um, partly, but also like this phenomenon of growing up as a millennial in the era of like Homer Simpson and Family Guy and Randy Marsh from South Park and like characters that are buffoons that are funny that like even Bart as a child when I was growing up like I just loved Bart Simpson even though he was like not a role model per se but for as a goof like it's fun to like admire imbeciles I guess. I don't know what that is. I think it's like kind of the Trumpian thing that like Donald Trump was a beloved figure by deplorables, as it were, because it's almost like he was a Jesus figure who forgave their sins. Like if Donald Trump can be who he is and own it and even be on top of the world quite, quite literally or metaphorically, then it's okay that you have your problems, that you're stuck in a dead-end job, or that you're stuck in a failed marriage, or that your kids don't admire you, or that whatever, you're not the smartest guy around. Like, Donald Trump excuses and forgives all that. You know what I mean? And I, I think there's something there. Like, Homer Simpson and, like, the idiocy of our not role models, but celebrities, I guess, like even like Kim Kardashian to an extent and like even like the current bimboification of female characters, like it allows us to like feel a little better about ourselves maybe. But I feel like the danger that I've been experiencing is like I'll say something that, you know, Homer would say, but it's not a show. I'm not in a series. You know what I mean? Like I love cringe comedy. Like I love the office. 
the BBC office was so influential to me that like I'll quote that when it's not appropriate. But that's the point, you know. The point is that it's not appropriate. So, anyways, these are kind of regrettable moments, you know. Like I'll like saying the wrong thing just to be funny and then realize it has consequences. And people love saying that these days. Actions have consequences. Like, yeah, no, duh. But it's, like, so mean to say that, you know? Like, I don't know why people get off on punishing other people. And the irony there is that, like, it's people that are supposedly against punitive damages. Like, people against the prison industrial complex and who actually supposedly, supposedly believe in rehabilitation are the ones that want to cancel everybody and tell us that we have, that actions have consequences. So if I say something wrong on this podcast, it's like the people, the same people that supposedly want to end death row and release prisoners want to like end careers. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make any fucking sense frankly sorry to get all political as usual but i do want to tie in some kind of socio-political things here as i tend to do i think we need to be in touch with our own modesty to be more humble and to admit our mistakes and you can call that regret like that's the word for that you know like it's okay (laughs) to admit that you make mistakes and I guess it's what you do with it you know like I was talking to my parents about this car purchase and they have like very different ways of approaching it like and I, I, I want to be in the middle because I dislike both of the their takes. No offense, guys. But, like, my mom is, like, very harsh. Like, Keith, don't look, at, don't look at me. You made the decision. Live with it. You can't blame your parents forever. You know, like, when I was going through psychoanalysis, um, you know, in my 20s, I would, like really discover the ways in which I got fucked up, you know, and so much of that is family. And I would like address her and my family in general, like with these things. And she would just say like, Keith, how long are you just, how long are you going to blame other people? You know, like she has this very stern attitude about it. Whereas my dad, it's like almost the exact opposite of like, as soon as I share my, experience with this car he feels my pain in this almost like mushy pushover way like oh yeah man life you know like man that's such that's really too bad and like he just is like that you know and i i don't know if either of those i don't know how helpful either of those takes are to me i guess i just want to use regret or trauma and grow or benefit somehow and my frustration is that it's actually really hard to do like life just keeps teaching you the same lessons over and over like i lose 
things all the time. I lose my keys or my phone. Like, I'll leave the house without my mask probably at least once a week, if not like every other day, I'll leave the house without my mask. Like, how long does it take to learn that, you know? And yet I just can't learn that. It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense as part of my everyday carry to put a mask in my pocket, this thing that's supposed to be super clean, to put it in my pocket doesn't make any sense. And to put it on my face, like in my when I'm home, to walk out my door with a mask on, it's like, it's so, it seems so stupid to me and so dumb and annoying that I just never think to do that. And there's just no way to smoothly and like cleanly and efficiently carry around a mask. I'm really looking forward to masks not being a thing anymore because they're just a dumb accessory, in my opinion. Um, but I do want to talk a little more about <laughs> masks. Um, you know, there's kind of a, a, a phrase. It's it's a maybe it's not, but anti-masker. You know, or like um, I can't remember if COVID idiot is meant to describe anti-mask people and people that are supposedly spreading spreading COVID, or if it's meant to describe doomers and people that are afraid of COVID. I guess it can be used by either group. I think it usually is meant, it's used by pro-mask people against more relaxed people. And this is going to tie back to regret kind of, but I guess I want to make this point through thoroughly, um, which will be off topic, I guess, for a bit. Okay, so I have like friends across the whole spectrum as we all do, but I've been hanging out more and more with more relaxed friends. Um, my friend Harmony and I took a nice hike uh, up to Griffith Park and we weren't wearing masks because we were in fucking nature with the like fresh air and it was pretty easy to stay away from other people. And, you know, we just were like wondering like how this got so overblown and like such a thing. And that we there was even a name for us as anti-maskers. And it's like, I'm not anti-mask. I put a mask on, you know, like when it's actually appropriate. But in my mind, anytime you leave the house is not the appropriate answer that's way too broad so like i wear a mask in a supermarket but not on a mountain that doesn't make me anti-mask you know i won't speak for harmony but then there's this other phrase right called um, anti-vaxxer and that's been around long before coronavirus it's like a move not even a movement it's like a growing phenomenon, I suppose, of people that distrust vaccines. And now that we're living in such a significant time where a vaccine is very relevant, this is like a movement that has a lot of attention. But the COVID-19 vaccine isn't exactly a typical vaccine, if there is such a thing. And it made me think again, kind of like how 
An anti-masker is just way too broad a term to be thrown around too loosely. It's the same with anti-vaxxers. Like, you don't know somebody's position on every single thing just because they are skeptical, for instance, of taking the coronavirus vaccine. That doesn't tell you how they feel about the tetanus shot, you know, or the measles vaccine. Like, these are all different. These all have gone through different studies, and the threat of each one of those diseases is different, you know? Like, most people just don't die of measles the way you could die from malaria, for instance. So, like, these things have to be measured and discussed differently. And nobody bothers to do that, you know? It's it's just, like, people want to jump to, the, like, the quickest uh, basic description of somebody. Oh, they don't want the vaccine. They have some, you know, shoddy excuse about skepticism. They don't believe in science. They're an idiot at the end. You know, like, that's the, like, leaps or the steps that people explain one another with. And versus, like, oh, yeah, of course I'm getting a vaccine. I'm a responsible citizen. Like, that's what you do. I believe in science. Yeah, but, like, science is a methodology. It's not like a book, (laughs) you know? So I just, I have to flag this because I, I guess I just, I think everybody needs to appreciate that we're all coming from different places and it's perfectly reasonable to be skeptical of Western medicine or of mainstream science or of like Dr. Fauci or of uh, the FDA or of any product that's rushed to delivery. like. There is a bad track record of bad medicine and bad doctors in the world. Like, that's a thing. So it's not science. The scientific method is always good. A scientific method, just to remind everybody, if I can remember correctly, is a hypothesis followed by experiments, followed by results, followed by an analysis of checking those results against the hypothesis, followed by more experiments where you control for different variables, followed by continued testing in order to determine a predictable outcome. You know what I mean? Like that is a, that's not something you can just, (laughs) like no political affiliation has a monopoly on that process, you know? So I'm tired of hearing this whole, like, believe in science, don't, they don't believe, whatever, this bullshit. Because science is not a book, and it's not like a dogma to believe in or not. Wear a mask is dogma. Or like, you know, the government is out to get you is also dogma. But to like actually carefully think to yourself should I get the vaccine? That's something that only you can decide. I have been thinking about it and I probably won't get it because I just don't really believe in altering the human body more than necessary. You know, it's the same reason I don't believe in circumcision and that I don't believe in, uh, you know, even like, 
I don't know. I don't remember the last time I got a flu shot. I don't remember the last time I took antibiotics. You know, like I don't want to adulterate my physicality any more than necessary. Or unless there's like a good reason, like joy, you know, like eating tasty food is a good enough reason for me to alter my body. Same with maybe taking drugs. But like, I'll be skeptical of any drug I also take. I want clear, obvious effects. And I guess that's the point. Like everything we do has effects. Like there's effects to things, there's side effects. And our, our goal should be to determine <laughs> our goal and then to analyze the effects and side effects toward that goal, if that makes sense. Let me try and say it again. With coronavirus, our goal is to return to normalcy, to contain the spread of this virus. What is that, like N1 or whatever, um, N0, like those kind of numbers where it's like the virus grows proportionate to the population and the way to slow it down is through herd immunity, essentially. So we want to get to herd immunity, right? And from what I can tell, there are a few ways to get to herd immunity. If enough people get the vaccine and have the antibodies and no longer spread it, that'll do that. Now, some amount of people will die along the way, but that number seems to be less than 1% of those infected. So I think that this death rate is far overblown. That's my personal take. I know it's controversial. Uh, I know some people will think that I'm out to kill grandparents because I said that. I think those people are alarmists. But anyways, another way to get there is by vaccinating, right? So that, you know, this is a big deal, especially for schools. Like, can we let children go back to school normally if, they're, if they continually spread disease like they always do? <laughs> you know, like kids are always getting sick and they make parents sick. So... We accept that in normal life, but now we're not. And it's actually funny because I've heard a lot of parents say like, this has been the healthiest year ever for them. Like normally in a school year, they get sick once or twice because their kids are bringing viruses home all the time, you know? And like, ironically enough, this year of COVID has been the healthiest for so many people that are just stuck at home because we have prioritized health to the nth degree, the umpteenth degree, to such an extent that, yeah, when you don't do anything with your life because you only prioritize your health, surprise, surprise, you're healthy. Okay, you're like technically, I wouldn't even say healthy, I would say virus and bacteria free. You're not healthy, you're not psychologically fit nearly as much, you're not socially fit, you know, you're, you know, your disposition is probably less sunny when you're stuck at your own house with your kids all day, every day. But that's beside the point. <sighs> Getting off track again, Keith. Um, our goal is to get to this kind of place of herd immunity. And here's my point. To get there, we don't all need the vaccine. Now that sounds selfish and it might be, but I might count myself 
as one of the people that doesn't get the vaccine but benefits to live in the world where everyone else did you know what i mean and i've talked to my doctor in berlin and he's told me like don't worry about it you're like not even close to the top of the list so i can't even give you a guesstimate of when you would get that you know and now i'm thinking right on that's cool because like i don't really need to introduce something so unknown into my body and i'm not being paranoid i'm not against it if like a doctor said it's time for your shot keith like okay i guess i would do it but these are my hesitations one i kind of agree with some friends of mine that if you're a woman trying to get pregnant why the hell would you get a why would you get this vaccine like we don't really know you know now some of the like crazy conspiratorial theories out there about vaccines in general are that they create autism in babies now that's probably untrue but i think i'm on the spectrum i think more people that i know um i think more people are on the spectrum than realize it i think if we actually study autism which i've done a bit and Asperger's will realize that it's actually just a broad terminology to describe neurodivergence and that neurodiversity is everywhere. So who the hell knows? Maybe it did come from getting shots in the 80s. I don't know. Now, that doesn't make me anti-vax. Like, if I have kids they will be vaccinated against some things. But I just don't know if all vaccines are the same. Now, granted, I'm, I'm ignorant. I, I mean, I can admit that. I just don't know. But they're obviously not literally the same. They do different things. One prevents this, one prevents that, right? All this to say, like, if I was with a partner and we were trying to have a baby, I would rather trust her super conscientious, clean, health-obsessed lifestyle as it already was. Because, look, women of a certain age, fertile women wanting to get pregnant, are very conscious of their bodies <laughs> in general. I, I, would, I, I think I would trust them as to what they're trying to introduce into their bodies, you know? And just by extension of that, like, that's not me, but, like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, I suppose. And, yeah. I mean, all this to say, again, like, I have plenty of family, like, in New York who's very excited to get the vaccine and already has. And I, I'm down with that. Like, good for them. I'm happy for anyone that takes the vaccine in order to live better and to go back to normal. Like, that's the goal. Again, that's all of our goal, is to get over this damn pandemic. Aren't we tired of it being an excuse for everything? I am. Like, everywhere I go, oh, you know, we're in a pandemic. No kidding. But we're not in a pandemic. We're in cities. We're in buildings. We're, you know... <laughs> I, I, I'm over it. I'm over it. So I'm hoping that this vaccine helps more people get over it.
I'm not gonna make a scene. I'm not gonna go into any shop and not wear my mask. I'm not gonna lecture anybody about the government or corporations taking all the wealth, which they are doing. I'm not gonna get all political out of context. That's what this podcast is for. But I don't need the vaccine to feel better personally. Now, the other reason I would get it and this is a really scary reason, is if travel is forbidden unless you have the papers proving that you've been vaccinated. And that really scares me. I really hope that that's all just like um, rumors and speculation and like fear-mongering. And I hate to share that fear with you, but it's possible, right? That like big airlines or cities and airports like mandate vaccination in order to travel. That's some scary shit. I mean, I really, that is so authoritarian and scary. And look, I'm not so skeptical of the government. I don't actually attribute malice to the US government per se or any other government necessarily but again the track record you know the Tuskegee experiments of giving syphilis to black communities the military experiments of acid and LSD on soldiers unknowing unknowingly taking hallucinogens you know the uh the countless amounts of like bad batches of drugs taken out of Western markets and thrown into Sub-Saharan Africa, knowing that it was toxic, you know, like this kind of stuff, like, come on, you know, like it's not that hard to be skeptical of big, unwieldy, clunky, capitalist-driven systems. And I just don't put the COVID uh, vaccine above that system. It's of the system, you know, it's developed by like Pfizer and these like behemoths. So like, (laughs) how does Nick Norm McDonald put it? Yeah, everyone hates big pharma until now (laughs) or something. It's pretty funny. Anyways. Okay, I want to tie this back to like my first point about regret. Some people are living their mistakes right now. I could be one of them. Like this whole spiel I'm going on about kind of against lockdown protections and whatever. Maybe I'll eat my foot. What's the phrase? Foot and mouth, whatever. Like when you regret saying something or you're wrong. I'll admit if I'm wrong, you know, I've been wrong in my life. It's not a tragedy to be wrong. There are other people that are like fully convinced that like COVID is an existential threat and we have to do everything to prevent the spread. I personally think they're wrong. And the point here is that people need an out. People need a dignified way to save face and lose a debate. 
you know? And we have a lot of terms about that, like how you play the game, don't be a sore winner or a sore loser, don't kick a man while he's down, don't be a dead horse. Like, there are these kind of phrases of like, enough is enough. And this came up again with Trump when he left office, you know, last month. It was like this idea that like he left in disgrace for sure. And he basically deserved to because he wasn't a good leader. Like no matter what you think about his ideas insofar as he has ideas, he didn't bring the country together. He didn't contain the virus. Like he was an embarrassment as a leader. And instead of like letting him go peacefully into the night and just go and start his next media whatever like as a mogul would whatever like he'll, he'll do like he has a built-in following that's that you know he's gonna capitalize on it somehow just let him go and do it but no like the left the angry annoying left insisted on just shaming him all the way until he's dead, you know? Like, there's just no letting up. But, like, I just don't think that's a way to treat people, including our enemies. So, you know, I can get lectury, I can, like, get on my soapbox a little bit. But, like, I know I disagree with plenty of you because I have these conversations with friends where we disagree. And I guess I just don't believe in yelling and like having fights where they damage the actual relationship and they ridicule others because it's just not a fun world to live in where you're embarrassed and ridiculed because like that means that you can't show your face anymore in this company you know what I mean like you can't go to work anymore and feel good about yourself you can't walk down the street like What's the point in this kind of public shaming, you know? Like, you better have done something truly heinous to deserve that. And I just wonder what that even is these days. Obviously, I can think of some examples of truly heinous activity. But I don't even think Donald Trump has done those things. Maybe he has, actually. When I really want to think about it, like, you know, with Tyus Jeffrey Epstein and everything, like, I wouldn't put put anything past him. But my point is that, like, we have to, like, evaluate and match our judgments with the actual crimes. And it's like, if you see someone on the street in broad day, in sunshine without a mask on, do you think that that deserves your total disdain? And conversely, like, if I see someone on Twitter going on and on about, like, if you wear your mask wrong, you might as well burn in hell, you know? Or if, like, if if you try to get the vaccine before old people and then before minorities, then you're an evil person because, you know, the black and Hispanic communities deserve it more. I can't, I don't understand the logic there, but I know that that's kind of a thing, especially here in L.A. I live next to Dodger Stadium, which is one of the biggest... Uh, vaccination spots in the country or something and it's it's kind of a controversy that california is bungling this vaccination stuff so badly because we want to do it right we want to prioritize it and do it the right way 
and I can appreciate wanting to do things in a certain order, you know, like when I fix up my car, like if I want body work done, it should be like the dents should be taken out before the paint job. Because if I do the paint job, even though that's more important to me, the, um, and then the dents still bother me, then I'll have to do the dent work, body work, and then redo the paint. And I don't want to redo it, you know? So it makes sense to do things right the first time. But, you know, I sympathize with governments, kind of with my car. Like, you just don't know what the right way is. You want to sound right. You want to, you want to signal that you care about first responders and medical workers. And then when some of them defer and don't want the vi the vaccine, what do you do? You know, you might end up wasting some of the vaccine because of the shelf life stuff. So that's a bad headline. And then you want to prioritize like truly at-risk people like the elderly or the infirmed. And that's all well and good, you know, but a lot of them are like, no, it's, it's my time. If I die, I die, you know, and some of them defer it as well. And then you think, well, let's really make a stance here and be woke and politically correct and prioritize minority communities. And you know what? That might even be a good idea. Maybe even the rates of infection are higher in such communities for whatever reason. Maybe it's good, maybe there's good data to do that. But then at the same time, funny enough, these communities are, the, are also disproportionately distrusting <laughs> of big pharma and government. So a lot of them will turn it down. And then you have queues of cars in front of Dodger Stadium wanting to get the vaccine and they're just like normal, young to middle-aged white folk and they can't get it, you know what I mean? And it's like doubly insulting because like they're even bad people for wanting to get it so soon to like jump to their turn or something. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know if that fully made sense, but like I, I appreciate that it's hard to figure out the right way of doing anything. Even when your goal seems good and clear and what's another word for good? It's just easy to mess it up. And it just goes back to this regret you know, like we're going to do things wrong. It's just the way it is. It's very hard to do things right. It's very hard. Like how many, how many things can be right randomly in complex systems? The, the chances are it will be off. I think we just have to be okay with that in the end. Like, yeah, some people die. That's life. Yeah. Some people got a bad vaccine. That's also life, right? Some people are too politically angry about this. That's also life, you know, like just let it be. Like angry people will be angry. Uh, skeptical people will be skeptical. Corrupt people will be corrupt. I don't know. It's kind of like, I guess I just seem, I feel very zen about it, you know, like whatever will be, will be in the end. And 
I just, I suppose my message here is like, be sympathetic to different perspectives. You don't know what other people are going through. You don't know why they have this distrust or this, even like what I have to tell myself, Keith, you don't know why some people really want to virtue signal on social media and tell you what to do and, you know, stand up for whatever political cause. Like maybe they just need to do that, you know, and it's fine. Like it doesn't hurt me for other people to be activists in, in whatever weird way. It's fine. And I, I have to keep telling myself that because it's like, they might be make in the process of making their mistakes that they have to make. And you can't stop people from making their mistakes. You can't always do that. In fact, most of the time they just, they need to learn it the hard way. And I've certainly done that. I guess I, it's, I guess it's a little frustrating if I can end on this kind of, overly pious, <laughs> false modesty. It's, <laughs> I, I, I feel so pompous already. It's a little frustrating for me to have gained wisdom in this world through my, my vast experiences and to not quite be able to share it because of how unwilling so many people are to listen <laughs> that is a really funny that is like one of these Homer Simpson kind of things to say I'm very well aware of it alright that's enough bloviating from my soapbox or my corner of the world um, I'm going to leave it there I am discoverable in various places online uh, my Patreon is key thinking uh, I would love your support. Um, my website is keithtelfayan.com. Um, I would love your support there too in the form of buying some of my work or giving me a donation. I got to get past the embarrassment of asking for help because I am, frankly, the kind of person that needs help, guys, if I'm honest. Um... People like me have survived on patronage throughout time. And I'm on Twitter. I've changed my Twitter handle finally. So I'm at Keith Thinking, my first name and the word thinking. I like that naming scheme. It kind of goes with my Instagram, Keith Pictures. But man, I feel funny self-promoting. It's not fun. I don't like doing it. It's weird. But... Everyone does it, right? So that's the game. And if I can talk for 50 minutes about my very whatever, I'm done. I'm not even gonna describe how my thought process is at this point. You know. Until next time. Ciao.